Man, great worship tonight. John 14, John chapter 14. We're looking for several weeks here at John 14, 15, 16, and 17, the last words of Jesus to his followers before he goes to the cross. And really, if we could sum up John chapter 14, I, I would look at, at this chapter as Jesus the great encourager. And, and let's not forget the context. Jesus, on the night before he is going to go to the cross, is taking time to encourage others. It just shows the selflessness, the, the love that he has for others. It should have been the disciples encouraging him. It should have been the disciples ministering to him. And yet at the, the moment when maybe he needed encouragement the most is when he's encouraging others. And so we saw last week in the first 14 verses how Jesus was encouraging his followers. And tonight we're going to see the same thing. If I had to sum up the passage we're going to look at tonight with a couple words, it would be this. There's three words that stand out to me, all starting with the letter S. You know me in alliteration. The first word is surrender. Surrender. The second word is the Spirit, because he talks a lot about the ministry of the Holy Spirit tonight. And then third is stillness. Stillness. Because that's really what the peace of God that he ends this passage with is all about. So as I said earlier, God is way more interested, I think, in developing, maintaining, nurturing, growing this relationship that he has with us than many times, most of the time, we are with him. That there's never going to be a time in our existence where somehow we're pouring more into this relationship with God than God is with us. There's no way. That that just never happens. But God only asks, after all the things that he does, and we're going to see this tonight again, Jesus is going to share with us all the things that God pours into this relationship with us. All the things that he does. That all he asks is really one thing from us. And that is that we love Him. Notice in verse 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And notice there, in fact, four times in this passage we're going to look at tonight, Jesus talks about obedience and love being connected. We're going to talk about that. But I want to start with this. Notice here something very important, a very important principle, and that is that God wants everything that flows out of our relationship with Him to flow out of love. Too often, too many Christians, too many followers of Jesus say what they say, do what they do, whatever, out of a lot of other motivations other than love. We might do it out of guilt. We may do it out of manipulation. We may do it out of sense of duty. All these different things. And Jesus is saying, the most important thing is to just love me. And if you love me, then obedience and service and time with me and all these other things, they'll take care of themselves. They will flow out of love 
Jesus just wants us to fall in love with him. By the way, I've shared this before, but one of the interesting aspects of this word that Jesus uses for love is the fact that in this word, there is the concept of being content. In other words, what it's teaching is, is if I'm content with the one or the thing that I love, then I won't look to anyone or anything else. And Jesus is simply saying, when you fall in love with me, where you're content with me, where you're filled up with me, where you realize there's nothing better than my love and a relationship with me, then you won't be looking to anyone or anything else to do for you what only I can do. And out of that will flow obedience. Notice Jesus doesn't say, obey me and then you'll start to love me. No, he says, love me. And out of that love will flow obedience. Very interesting word. The word obey here means to handle and observe with care. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will handle and observe with care my commandments. What I have prescribed in my word consistent with my character. You will handle it and you will observe it with care. So in other words, I think we could even... For the sake of simplifying it, we could even say this should be our attitude towards the Bible, the Word of God. Are we handling and observing the Bible with care? Because that is a way that we are showing God we love Him. Notice God says, I don't want you to show your love for me primarily by, you know, uh, feeling good or or whatever. He says, "If, if you love me, then obey me. That, that could be the greatest thing from God's perspective you could ever do to show your love for me is to obey. In fact, like I said, four times in this passage tonight, Jesus is going to say that. If you really want to show your love, you know, there's many Christians today who are trying to show their love for God in so many different ways. And Jesus, God himself is saying, you want to, you want to show your love for me? Here's how you do it. Handle and observe my word with care. That's how you do it. Then notice he goes on to say, then I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. There's a lot of profound thoughts in this passage. And and I want to just take a few moments tonight to just ponder some things. But so notice a couple things. First of all, Jesus says, I'm going to ask the father to give you another advocate or comforter The word another there in the Greek language means another of the same kind. In other words, we're not getting ripped off by Jesus leaving and the Holy Spirit coming. Because the Holy Spirit is equal to God the Son and God the Father. And so when we get the Holy Spirit, we are getting another advocate, another comforter of the same kind as Jesus was. We're not getting gypped. By having the Holy Spirit. And then the word advocate or comforter in your translation is the Greek word parakletos. Which means one called alongside to help and support. And Jesus is saying, look, I know it looks bad. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going away. 
But there's going to be another of the same kind as me, another one just like me who's going to come. And he's going to come alongside of you and help you and support you in any way that you need it. And notice Jesus says, by the way, he will be with you forever, permanently. Notice Jesus doesn't say until you mess up too bad or until you cross a line or whatever. He says he's going to be with you permanently, forever. The spirit of truth. Remember last week we said that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus shared that because he's the way, he's salvation. He is the truth so that men can be sure. And He is the life so that men can be satisfied. In Jesus is embodied salvation, surety, and satisfaction. And now Jesus is saying, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will help make things sure in your life as well. God wants us to be sure. Too many Christians live their life so unsure and with such a lack of clarity, and yet God wants us to be sure that He gives us the Spirit of truth, whom he says the world cannot accept, not because they couldn't, but because it does not see him or know him. The words here mean to pay attention to, to consider, to become more acquainted with. In other words, Jesus is saying it's not that they couldn't know the Spirit, it's not that they couldn't see the Spirit and have the Spirit but they really have very little interest in the Spirit. They don't pay attention to the Spirit when He works in their life. They don't consider the workings of the Spirit. See, I believe that the Spirit of God even works on people before they come to faith in Jesus. I believe with all my heart in the pre-salvational work of the Holy Spirit because I believe the Bible teaches none of us would have ever come to faith if the Holy Spirit would have not been working on us prior to salvation. And so Jesus simply, it's not that they couldn't, but they just don't take the time to become more acquainted with the way of the Spirit. But notice Jesus says, you know him because he resides with you. The word reside means to continue, to remain, to abide, and notice this, and will be in you. The very first thing tonight, besides talking here about love, that I'd like us just to take a moment And ponder is the fact that Jesus himself is teaching here in this passage that God, God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. He indwells us. That's why I find it very hard, I guess, when I, when I would talk to somebody and them not be sure whether they have a relationship with God or not. Because to me, if God is living inside of me, I know it. I know it. And the Bible clearly teaches, Jesus clearly teaches here that if you have a personal relationship with God, the Holy Spirit will come in and live inside of us. And the cool thing about that is, unlike 
the limitation that, that Jesus had, if you will, that he placed upon himself when he was in his incarnation and took upon himself flesh and bone was that, that he could only be with his followers when he was physically with them. And he says, the good thing about me going back to the Father and sending the Holy Spirit to be with you and to be in you is now God goes with us everywhere we go. There's nowhere we can go. There's nothing we can come across. There's nothing that we face without God facing it with us. In the Old Testament, there were many times where the people of God had to say, hey, is God with us or not? And, and it would be symbolic by, you know, the Ark of the Covenant or some other thing. And here we don't have to worry about that because when we have Christ, we have the Holy Spirit of God going with us into life every step of the way. And I just say, thank you, God. I never have to walk a step in this life without God going with me. He lives inside of me. Meditate on that a little bit. Think about that. The God of the universe in the form of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I take God with me everywhere I go. And then Jesus says in verse 18, I will not abandon you. I will not leave you behind. I will not desert you. Wow. Human beings leave people behind all the time. Maybe you've been left behind by others. You've been deserted. You've had people turn their back on you. Maybe you've turned your back or whatever on others. We do that sometimes. But Jesus says, I will never leave you behind. I will never desert you. And I will never abandon you as orphans. He uses this word in the Greek because this word meant without a guide or guardian, without someone to watch over you. So notice here, Jesus is encouraging. He says, look, I'm going away. I'm not physically going to be with you, but the Holy Spirit's going to be in you. Oh, and by the way, you will never be, with that being the case, you will never be without a guide or a guardian. God himself will watch over your life. He will guide you. Rely upon the Spirit of truth. And then he says, in a little while, the world will not see me any longer, but you will see me. Now, wait a minute. How can Jesus go away and yet now tell the disciples, but you'll see me? Because the word see here, really interesting word, it means to enjoy one's presence. See, Jesus is teaching something really important here, as he did last week by talking about the oneness between him and the Father and how if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now he's saying, when you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God, you're enjoying my presence too because we're all tied together. We are three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but we always act in unison. We always act as one. So when one is ministering to you, in a sense, we're all ministering to you. And one of the things we see in this passage is that the entire Trinity, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are always working on our behalf in our life, always pouring themselves into this relationship. And Jesus is saying, here's how you can enjoy my presence. By fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you. In a sense, by Sunday's message, by allowing the Spirit to fill you. When we allow the Spirit to fill us, we will enjoy the presence of Jesus in our life and see him in a way we could not see him any other way because I live he says you will live too talking about the real life the quality of life enjoyed remember the eternal life that God gives us is not a quantity of life it's a quality of life it's life on a higher plane it's the abundant life that Jesus promised his followers 
And then he says, you will know at that time, verse 20, that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. See, it's all there. I'm in you through the Holy Spirit. It's me, Jesus. But yet the Father is in me. and we're, So we're all in this together. And so again, when you face each day, remember something. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you go out of that door each day to face life with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit right there with you. You've got the entire Trinity working on your behalf. And that's why Jesus then goes back in verse 21 to say, the person who has my commandments and obeys them is the one who loves me. I also want to point this out. Verse 21, the word has could be a word that we just, because it's such a common word in the English language, but it's a really descriptive word in the Greek. It means to hold close his commandments, to continually consult, to never have them out of focus. This is why you'll see Orthodox Jews today, based on these similar principles in the Old Testament, wearing what's called phylacteries. You've seen the Orthodox Jews and, and, and they wear this box, literally, on their forehead. And they place scriptures in that box. And everywhere they go, they have literal scripture verses in that box that they carry around with them. Because Jesus, you know, God said in the Old Testament, I, I want the Word of God right there. Well, obviously, I don't think He meant literally like that. But I think what He is saying to us is, if you have my word, then it's almost like going into a place you've never been and making sure that you're continually consulting a compass in order to not get lost. Jesus is saying that that's the kind of mentality that Christians should have with the word of God every day, that I'm, that I'm holding it close to me. I, I'm continually consulting it. it. It's never out of my focus. Everywhere that I go, I'm allowing, as the psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's what the word has means here. And then he says, the one who has my commandments and obeys them is the one who loves me. And again, the word obey there means to handle and observe with care. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Well, now wait a minute, Jesus. Doesn't God even love people that don't even love him? Yeah. So the love he's talking about here isn't a love as far as the way we sometimes use that word, a general love of mankind and all of that. This word here is a love of fellowship. Don't miss that. See, what Jesus is saying is, when I grow this relationship with you, and you, you love me, because, let me go back. Relationships take work. In order for them to be healthy and grow, they, they take work. And obviously, the best relationships aren't those that are just one-sided. Now, as I said earlier, obviously, we'll never outgive God in our relationship. Never. But that's not what God's looking for. But God is saying in any relationship, even my relationship with you, I want something back. Because in order to have a healthy relationship, there's got to be investment from both sides. And so what Jesus here is teaching is something very cool. He's saying, so when I see you giving to this relationship too, I'm going to start to reveal myself to you. 
In other words, God's going to invest more of himself in this relationship when he sees we're investing more. That's pretty cool. See, God's not going to invest in a relationship with somebody that they don't care about investing anything in the relationship. He's going to continue to woo them and and try to continue to love on them as, as God is to the point where they fall in love with God and go, wow, God, this is the relationship that I want to pour myself. This is the relationship I want to invest into. So it's, it's not that God never stops loving that person. Again, don't. But what he's talking about here is just like in our earthly relationships. If you have a, a relationship with someone or you have a friendship with somebody and you see them pouring into that and investing, then doesn't that motivate you to want to do the same thing? And God is saying, that's, that's what this is all about. That the one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. I'll manifest more of myself. I will disclose more. I will invest more in that relationship because I see that that's where you're going. That's what you're running after. So notice here already, Jesus says, God will indwell us and he will invest in us. Then notice verse 22. Lord Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, What has happened that you are going to reveal yourself to us then and not to the world? And Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my word. Third time, Jesus. It must be important, right? Because he keeps coming back to that. If you want to show your love for God, Jesus says, then handle and observe my word with care. And my Father will love him and will come to him and take up residence with him. Well, again, many Christians look at it, well, I thought God already did take up residence. This is the language of someone being settled, someone being at home, not someone who just visits every once in a while and is a, is a visitor, but then, no, no, the Father wants to come in. The Holy Spirit, Jesus wants to come in and basically settle down and be at home in our lives. But what that takes from us is surrender. As we said Sunday, the filling of the Spirit isn't us getting more of God, it's God getting more of us. And God wants us to surrender to Him so that He can just sort of come in and settle down and be at home and not be kicked out. You go, you mean, you mean people kick God out of their lives? Yeah. We've done it all our lives. I mean... Hasn't there been times in your life where God said, I want that? We said, no, God, that's, that's mine. That's that, that's that part of the life I'm, I'm not going to give you yet. I'm, I want to hold on to that. God says, but I want that. And we said, no, I want to hold on to that. See, when, when we do that, God can't settle down there. And here's the thing. We're going to see this in a minute. When God can't settle down in an area of our life, then we're not going to be settled. Wow. That's why we have a lot of unsettled Christians. Because there's, there's things and areas of our life that God is saying, and we're saying, no. Mine. Mine. 
So the person, verse 24, who does not love me does not obey my words. And the word you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I have spoken these things while staying with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will cause you to remember everything I said. A couple things here. So notice he goes back and says, oh, by the way, God not only wants to indwell us and, and, and wants to invest in us, he wants to inspire us. I get that from once again him using the term advocate. One call, called alongside to help and support, but we could also add to strengthen. The reason I say that is because most English translations translate this Greek word as comforter. Well, that word comes from the Latin come forte, with strength. That's literally what the word comfort means, with strength from the Latin. And so in other words, Jesus here is also saying, the Holy Spirit wants to come into your life and give you strength and, and come with strength so that you and I will be strong. We're going to talk about that Sunday from the book of Ephesians. God wants to give you strength to face whatever you and I need to face and to inspire us. And then notice, not just to indwell us and invest in us and inspire us, but to instruct us when he says, oh, by the way, he's your primary teacher. He will teach you everything. The word means to instruct, to explain, to expound, which also implies we need to be teachable. We need to be willing to learn because the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. That's why, folks, someone in my position, I'm not teaching you anything if you're learning anything. If you're learning anything and you're growing, you're being taught by the Holy Spirit. I'm just a mouthpiece. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. When I study and I learn and I grow, it's the Holy Spirit who's teaching me. And when you grow and you learn and you're instructed and things are, oh, that's the Holy Spirit who is illuminating and revealing those things. And that's what God wants to do. That's why it's so cool when Christians grow because we know that that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit happening in our life. And if we need to know something in order to maybe be inspired and, 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 and to keep on going and to, to be strong and whatever, God will teach us whatever we need to know for the journey to navigate life. And then he will also cause us to remember everything that I said. It just simply means to recall, to be reminded, but... The Holy Spirit can't recall or bring to mind what we haven't read or studied ourselves. That's our part. That's our responsibility. That's why God wants us to be in the Word and saturate our minds with it. He promises that He will supernaturally do that. And can I say God bless that principle because the older I get, the more I forget. So I need the ministry of the Holy Spirit even more to recall and remember things. 
But the thing is, I've got to do this by faith. I've got to say, even if my memory's not very good, that if I simply do what God calls me to do, that the Holy Spirit will supernaturally bring things to mind. Because that's part of His ministry. And then Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world does. Here's the question I want to throw out tonight. I usually don't give homework. Can I give you a question for homework tonight? Jesus says, I don't give my peace the way the world does. So I want you to think about this. In what way does Jesus give us his peace that is different from the way the world tries to give us peace? In what way does Jesus give us peace differently from the way the world seeks to give us peace? Now let's go back for a moment and talk about peace. This word is a great word. It really means to be still. And it is in great contrast with what Jesus said at the very beginning of this chapter and what he's going to say here in just a moment when he said up in verse 1 of chapter 14, do not let your hearts be distressed. Remember I said that word meant a churning, an agitation, a disquieting in our stomach in a sense. It was a word used by the Greeks to describe the ocean compared to the calm water of a lake or a pond. It's a good way to look at it. Jesus saying, I never want my followers, their insides, to look like the ocean. Just constantly like roaring and churning and stirred up. I want my followers' insides to look like a calm, still pool. Isn't that what Jesus said or what The psalmist said in Psalm 23 about the shepherd when he says, Our shepherd will lead us to green pastures and to what? Still waters. Calm waters. That's what God's peace will do. And that's the kind of peace, that's the quality of peace that God wants to leave to his followers. A state of tranquility rather than always being all jacked up. And that's why then notice he says, do not let your hearts be distressed. Churning. Moving restlessly. But then notice, unlike in verse 1 of chapter 14, he adds something else here. He says, my peace will not only... Still, your churning, agitated, restless heart. But it will give you courage. Because he says, don't lack in courage. The word here means don't be timid, don't be fearful, don't be a coward. In other words, Jesus is saying, My ministry, my investment in your life, this relationship, I want it to get to the point where there's going to be times where you have to step out and do something courageous. And remember, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's doing what God wants me to do in spite of the fear. 
And Jesus is saying, I want my peace, that stillness, to give you such stillness, such peace in your heart that you are, you are willing to, to step out and continue to move forward with me in spite of what you may face. Don't lack courage. Now think about this in the context. And the disciples didn't even get this yet, and and we don't even have a full appreciation for it looking back. But Jesus was saying this just a few hours before he went to the cross. (laughs) Wow. That's pretty profound. Instead of Jesus being all churned up, God's peace was over Jesus. The the only angst that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane about going to the cross wasn't going to the cross and suffering and dying for our sins. The angst that Jesus demonstrated in the Garden of Gethsemane was the angst of having his fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit broken because he was going to take upon himself the sin of the world. That's what was bothering Jesus. Because it was going to be the one and only time from eternity past to eternity future that that oneness and unity that the Godhead had and always will have was at one time in history going to be broken for a moment. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You and I can't even begin to fathom what that meant to Jesus to have that perfect oneness that he lived with since we don't know how long with God the Father and God the Spirit broken at that moment because he loved us that much. Think about it. Jesus loves us so much that he was willing even for a moment in time to break the perfect fellowship that he had with the other members of the Godhead. You heard me say to you, verse 28, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. And if you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. See, the disciples are like, oh, you can't leave us. Jesus, if you loved us, you wouldn't leave us. And Jesus is turning it around saying, oh, if you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm doing this. Because here's the principle. Love never holds anyone back from doing what God wants them to do. God wanted Jesus to go to the cross. And so Jesus here is saying, if you love me, you'd be glad I'm going to do this. Because this is what God wants. May we never get in the way of what God wants, not only in our lives, but in other people's lives as well. Because the Father is greater than I am, verse 28. There's a phrase in Scripture that's caused a lot of problems. That's why a lot of religions and cults actually view Jesus as being less than God, based on that one phrase out of John 14. That's not what the phrase means. In fact, there's many other places in Scripture where Jesus himself clearly says, the Father and I are one. We are equal. In fact, that's why the Jews took up stones to stone him. 
to try to kill him because they said, you're blaspheming because you claim to be God. So it's not, it's clear that the Bible teaches that Jesus is equal with God. Then what does Jesus mean by the fact that the Father's greater than I am? Well, remember when he's saying this. He's saying this while he's on earth. And while on earth, Jesus willingly placed himself under the Father's leadership. And for that moment, again, in history, a very small moment, yes, the Father technically in His role was greater than Jesus because Jesus was following the will and leadership of the Father. He laid aside, as I say, the independent use of His attributes while here. He never ceased to be God, as some claim. Jesus was always God. But he laid aside the independent use of his attributes and allowed the Spirit of God and the Father to lead him. And he did it so that we had an example to follow when he left and then left us the Spirit. Verse 29, I have told you now before it happens so that when this all happens, when all these events unfold, you may believe, you may place your confidence and trust in me, which is what the word believe means. In fact, remember, I think I shared this months ago. They were trying to translate the Bible into this foreign language in this jungle. And the guy that was translating was trying to talk to the natives about how do I translate the word faith? Because they didn't have a word for faith in their language. And one day he's sitting there in the hut and the guy from the village comes in and just literally just lays all of his weight back on the chair. And the guy says, what word in your language would you use for that? And the guy shared with him this word, and that's the word that he used to describe faith. It's when we rest all of our weight on God. That's what faith is. And then he says, I will not speak physically with you much longer, verse 30, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has no power over me. And it's amazing to me how these messages, again, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit are planned months in a, ahead and how they tie into what we're talking about on Sunday. Because we just talked about the filling of the Spirit and now tonight we're talking more about the ministry of Spirit and now we're going to touch a little bit on Satan and then we're going into spiritual warfare on Sunday. I want to say a few words about this in closing. First of all, Jesus says... The ruler of this world is coming. I think he's clearly speaking about the devil here. What, what's he mean by that? Well, the word coming here means to find a place of influence. In other words, Jesus saying, even though this is a great triumph for God, me going to the cross and suffering for the sins of humanity of all time, Satan's going to find a foothold in here. And it reminds us of a great principle. When God does something great, Satan's always there to try to capitalize on it too. And sometimes the greatest victories that God, God has and the greatest victories we see in our life are also accompanied by sometimes the greatest output of satanic and demonic influence. Because Satan's just not going to let God work and Satan not try to undermine it or destroy it or counterfeit it in some way. We've got to remember that. 
But I love what Jesus said. He said, he has no power over me. You couldn't be more absolutely emphatic in the original language. Jesus basically says, he has nothing on me. (laughs) And in the context, don't miss what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, I'm not going to the cross because somehow Satan's won the victory and God's defeated. Or somehow I'm being led to the cross because Satan's pushing me there. Satan has nothing on me. I'm doing this, Jesus said, because I want to demonstrate my love for the Father who's leading me to do this. Not because Satan is doing anything. And this should also encourage us that Whatever demonic or satanic influence is trying to oppress or influence us in some active way, let's remember that they have nothing on Jesus. And if we claim the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the word of God as Jesus did when the devil tempted him in the wilderness, we can overcome the devil and the demons of hell and all the powers of hell. Because they have nothing, nothing on Jesus. But I am doing just what the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Wow. You know, until I really looked at this more closely, I never sort of realized that that was one of the motivations for Jesus to go to the cross. You know, yeah, me being my humanist, you know, human self-absorbed, always thinking about me thing. I think of Jesus going to the cross for me, and that's good. I'm not discounting that. but, But Jesus also went to the cross and did this because he loved the Father, and he wanted to demonstrate that love because it's what the Father was leading him to do. So here's a reminder to all of us. There are times where our God is going to ask us to do things that are hard. Going to the cross was not something that made Jesus feel good. But going to the cross was something in the love and plan and purpose of God was absolutely necessary. And remember something, and I'm reminding myself of this. Jesus told his followers that part of being my disciple and being a follower of mine is being willing to take up our cross and die every day. And so sometimes we've got to do what we know God wants us to do, even though it might hurt but in the plan and purpose of God, it's absolutely necessary. Are we willing to do it? And then Jesus says, get up. Let's go from here. I'm not backing down. Let's rise up. Let's awake. Let's be stirred. And let's be led to where God is leading. Here's what I'd like to leave with you tonight. God is asking for surrender here. He's he's told us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he's told us about the stillness that he wants to bring to our life. But as we end this great chapter and great passage of Scripture tonight, Jesus is also ending it with going somewhere. Under the leadership of God.
And so the question that God brought to my mind as I finished this passage was, where does God want me to go from here? What does God want me to take from this and what does he want me to do with it? What path does he want me to follow? Where does he want me to go? And again, let's remember as we close tonight that wherever it is God wants me to go, he will be with me. For the Holy Spirit of God resides inside of me. He wants to invest in my life. He wants to inspire me. He wants to instruct me. And he wants to give me his peace so that I never lack courage to do what God is calling us to do. What a great passage of scripture. I love the fact I love the fact that God doesn't sugarcoat life. You know? God deals in reality because that's what the word truth is all about and he's simply saying, guys, sometimes life is hard. And life with God can be really hard. But I'll be with you. I'll give you my peace. I'll be with you every step of the way. And if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this passage of Scripture tonight. It was certainly one that I needed to be reminded of once again in my life. God, thank you for loving us so very much. For investing in us and wanting to grow and nurture and, and maintain and this relationship with us more than we ever do with you. When I think that the God of the universe wants to spend more time with me than I do with him, that's pretty convicting. But yet, God, when we do spend time together, it's sweet. There's nothing like it. God, your, your relationship with all of us is life-transforming. It's life-changing. I mean, we've, we've got relationships down here on earth that are life-changing and and transforming. And yet, God, our relationship with you is just on a whole other level. And I pray tonight that that was the case. That for those of us who are here tonight, that God, our life would look a little bit differently just because we maybe let you into our life a little bit more. So God, go with us today and give us a great week no matter what we face, whether it's a good week or whether it's a really hard week, God, help us to know that the God of the universe goes with us every step of the way. Help us to go in your peace and in your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.